Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Draft Capital here on the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio. I am Stephen Gillespie, and joining me today, as he has been the past couple of months now, where you know we compare our big boards, um, he is the host of the Draft Deeper podcast. He is also a part of the No Ceilings Collective. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Nathan Grubel. Nathan, how you doing, man? I'm doing all right, Stephen. I'm I, I am excited to be on. I'm I'm a little tired. I'm a little winded, but that that doesn't mean that I can't talk NBA draft with such a great person like yourself. So you you know I'm always ready for this series. I appreciate it, and I think that you might literally. I know that you can, but you might literally talk draft in your sleep on this episode. So it'll be a lot of. We use that as hyperbole. We might see if that can actually happen today. But appreciate you enduring and um, going through this exercise with us you know i've had a lot of fun doing this with you before we dive into it as always what's kind of been your um, impression of the way between you know 2.0 to 3.0 and you typically release your board you know about a week or so after mine so it's fun that we get to kind of compare where what our perspectives were at different times even throughout the month but what's been your overall impression so far between 2.0 to 3.0 i mean not a lot's changed at the top all the way through down to, you know, the late lottery to mid first round. I do have a change at the top. I think we're going to try to stay away from like the main top, top guys in this podcast. Mm. Cause we, we, we've beaten the horse to, to death enough at this point <laughs> on those guys, but I did make the change at number one, the chat over Jabari Smith. That was a big change for me. He was, he was who I had preseason. And then on the 1.0 edition of my board, and I swung into Jabari, but I swung back to Chet. I think his play over the last month, month and a half, if you just run through all the statistics, you run through some of the game tape at WCC. Like He is phenomenal. He's been killing mm-hmm. it. He's been arguably the best player in college basketball um, up to this point. I just talked about that with CJ Marchesani over on my podcast in episode yeah, I released show. earlier this week. So um, that move, I think, was warranted. But other than that, I've really kept things pretty similar some slight movement in, in the mid to late first round. And then I did extend the board out this time around. So you're not the only one talking 60 teeth anymore. I finally <laughs> extended my board out because um, we, we, we made that a thing to do with no ceiling. So not, not a ton, ton movement, but overall, I still think this class is going to be filled with more role players than it is starter caliber or star caliber, star level players. That that's really been my biggest impression. Yeah, that's fair. And just like you kind of said earlier, Nathan, we're going to avoid, you know, the top four conversation we're going to get. We're still going to be talking about a few first round guys on your board. And then we got one guy who I've been really high on. It's fun to hear you talk about him a little bit more on Draft Deeper. I just got some questions on him. But, you know, let's go ahead and get started, man. We, um, we're going to be talking about Keegan Murray first. You know, everyone is familiar with him. You know, the, the forward out of Iowa player of the year candidate. Um, if you're looking at my board, the last place I had him was 15th. I believe, you know, he went up one spot. He was previously 16th on 2.0. Right now, if you're looking at his counting stats, he's giving you 23 points per game, about 15 and a half attempts per game, over eight, or excuse me, over eight rebounds, over one assist, almost a steal and a half per game, two bucks per game, shooting 57% from the floor, 65.3% on two. Um, 60 or excuse me 37 percent from deep on almost four and a half attempts per game and shooting close to 75 percent from the free throw line on over five shots per game there he's got a turnover percentage of 5.9 an assist percentage of 8.1 a usage percentage of about 30 and a half 
and almost a 65% true shooting percentage. Per synergy, he's in the 99th percentile overall offensively. I think that's pretty good. And then defensively, he's in the 25th, Nathan. So a lot of numbers there. We're going to kind of give that profile to give the, our audience here a little bit of an understanding of how good these guys really are. I have him 15th on my board. Where did, where did you have Mr. Keegan Murray on yours? So Keegan Murray is somebody who I started to be a little more comfortable with moving him up further on my 2.0 board. And now this time around, I have him slotted in at number seven, which I will say we in those ceilings have chosen to not rank Shane Sharp. We've kind of avoided doing so because of everything going on. So if we were to rank Shane Sharp or if I were to, he would be in that seven spot and Keegan Murray would be at eight. But either way, that seven, eight range is where I would have Keegan right now. That's fair. So, um, on my 3.0, I did include Shaden Sharp. That was before, you know, Coach Calipari told me not to. So I will respect his uh, – I will respect it's, his. It seems like everybody's still <laughs> including him, though. It seems like that now all of a sudden we're kind of like the odd ones out for, for not including it. But I think a lot of us just didn't feel comfortable evaluating him at this particular moment in time. Like, we can slot him in a top 10 spot because that seems to be where he's going to be projected to go regardless. But mm -hmm. in terms of actually digging into the film, digging into the tape of the time we were – updating a lot of our rankings we didn't feel comfortable with where we we're at from the valuation standpoint yeah i think i think that once everyone was aware of the fact that like this could potentially be an option for shade and sharp to come into the draft everyone scrambled to at least look at a little bit of high school film right like what i did i'm sure that that's what you at the no ceilings club did as well you know everyone dove in and it just kind of felt safe to be like well we haven't seen him yet at the next level we hear he's pretty good He's going to fit somewhere between that like five to seven range, I think was fairly popular from sure. what I was seeing from a lot of outlets. But back to Keegan Murray here, you guys have him pretty high relative to where I have him. I have him flirting with kind of tail end of the lottery range, especially if Shaden Sharp isn't going to be there. Um, what about Keegan Murray makes him top 10 level of a, of a draft pick to you? So when we talk about, evaluating prospects for the draft. We can obviously look forward with our evaluations to the future. We can try and project the best that we can of what they're going to be two to three years from now. Mm -hmm. Taking a lot of that with a grain of salt because some of these prospects that we can talk about below him are a little unproven. Uh, multiple examples we can give at this point in this draft class. So the other aspect of it is finding what skills translate to the NBA and how consistent are those skills on a game-by-game -game basis in the level he's playing at right now. And it's really funny how everybody wanted to bang the drum that Keegan Murray is only the mid-major killer at the beginning of the year, <laughs> myself included. However, I wish I could get sports reference working right now, but for whatever reason, the website won't let me pull up the splits. But <laughs> when I did look a few days ago, if you split out Keegan Murray's first section of his games and then – into games against higher level non-conference opponents and then into the Big Ten, his numbers have stayed virtually the same this entire time. He has not fallen off really whatsoever. The, the only real number that's changed, in my opinion, has been the free throw percentage. That has noticeably gone down in Big Ten play, whether that's just like a mental thing. I mean, some of these Big Ten crowds, I, mean, I, I scouted him live in, in, in Rutgers. That building was vicious, man. So, that's a that's a crazy that's a scary place for a road team to go play. They are just home home court juggernauts. 
Absolutely. So it doesn't surprise me that maybe some of the free throw numbers have, have taken a little bit of a downturn in conference play, but everything else that you can look at, he has been so consistent across the board. And when you factor in, he's one of these switchable four, three type of forwards who he's not an isolation artist. He's not going to break you down off the dribble, hit step back shots. But at the same time, what he can do is he is incredible off the catch. He is a legitimate post-up threat. He's one of the smartest players mm. on the court at all times on both ends of the floor. Defensively, he's phenomenal. Between his footwork, his understanding, his processing of the game, like when I saw him live against Rutgers, he only missed one rotation the entire game. And honestly, that missed rotation could have even been a miscommunication with one of his other teammates um, to not properly close out on a shot at the top of the key. And you take a look at where he's rated defensively per synergy. Mm-hmm. Keep in mind, some of those stats are also a reflection of what his teammates are doing around him. And that is, that is not a good defensive team. It's not a team that's built necessarily to play high-level defense. They're kind of just, we're focused on pushing the pace on the offensive end regardless. And whatever happens defensively, we kind of have to live with it because of the pace that and the amount of effort that we want to exert on the offensive end to even if you make a shot, similar to like what the Charlotte Hornets have done in the NBA, for example, what other teams have done. We're going to kick that ball right back into play and we're going to race down the court. We're going to try to beat you that way. We're going to try to essentially get our offense going before you can establish your defense. And Keegan's played very well into that, but even in certain half court situations, he's also proven to be a valuable commodity as even though his passing numbers wouldn't necessarily reflect it. I still think he's a smart passer, really solid interior scorer. Jump shot looks great especially off the catch. I think those numbers will only continue to improve in the NBA as he gets more repetition. So he is an older prospect. He's a little older on the sophomore side. You and I, Steven, are not ageist, so we're not necessarily going to put (laughs) as much stock into that. But in terms of just betting on sure things in this draft class, does he have the star level upside as like an A.J. Griffin or a Johnny Davis or even to an extent like a Ty Ty or or, or a Matherin? Maybe not. But at the same time, when we think about evaluating these guys through the lens of who actually translates to playing well in the playoffs, what kind of player is that guy? Can you trust him to be out on the court when it matters most? And Keegan plays a very vital position that NBA teams want filled with his level of versatility, and he will last in those situations. So gee, he's just going to be a rock-solid NBA player for years to come, and that's why I think at this point in this draft class, that's a big reason why I have him so high. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, I think I agree with you in a lot of those aspects. And, you know, we've talked about this on earlier, you know, or often more so than on shows. But I felt like I liked Keegan Murray a lot compared to draft Twitter around 1.0. And then I put my rankings out and I saw where everyone else had him, And they had him significantly higher than I did, right? So I'm trying to figure out, like, what about him is top 10 worthy and i think what hangs me up you know just being completely transparent and vulnerable yeah this is this is your show man you're you're hosting it this time around tell tell me why you're a little hesitant yeah so i'm it's the self-creation right like um that's why i'm lower on guys like a like a kendall brown to relative to other people because i think the self-creation like when i'm looking at guys i want to take this high you either need to be elite at your position and have the ceiling to be elite at your position, or you have to do a little bit of self-creation. Like I have Jalen Duran over Keegan Murray, and it's not because I think today that Jalen Duran is a better college basketball player than a Keegan Murray, but I think the ceiling for a Jalen Duran to be a, you know, a, a top 10 
center in the NBA. I think that that's that ceiling exists for him. I don't know if I can say the same thing for a, a Keegan Murray relative to, you know, the position that he'll be playing just sheerly due to the depth. Right. So that hangs me up that the self-creation is a little bit troubling for me, but that's pretty much it. And I worry about his scalability. Like how, like I hear a lot of people talking about him potentially being able to give you minutes, small ball five. I don't know if I necessarily see him shining or, you know, even being a viable option at that position, regardless of how small the league is getting, because yes, is he a good rebounder on his team? Absolutely. But I don't know if he's going to be able to contest, you know, a big bodied NBA built center on a night to night basis. Right. So now he can spread the floor. He can do a lot of really great things. That's why I have him, you know, around living in that 12 to 14 neighborhood. I still like him a lot. It's just that when I hear a little bit higher, I think I need to see a little bit more of him in that self-creation realm before I start putting him over guys that have the potential to kind of shine in their at their position or shine as like a self-creation. Uh, let me counter player. let me counter both of those points really quick. Sure. It's an interesting counter. So the first one about the physicality aspect in terms of what position he'll ultimately play, or I guess what we consider about position in NBA basketball, it's really more of who you can guard, right? That exactly. that really defines your position. I saw Keegan Murray in person. That dude is already a house. Yeah. He has the type of body he's only going to continue to fill out and get stronger. So I actually fully expect him to be able to contend in, in certain lineups as the five man down okay. the line. Maybe not necessarily right away, but he's also one of those players who instinctively knows how to play defense without getting himself in a lot of foul trouble. And I know that he he had a few foul few extra fouls called on him in the Rutgers game that I saw where I didn't necessarily think he should have had a call there, especially that play at the end of the game that essentially gave Rutgers the win. Um, but when you watch him over a very large sample size, he plays his angles very well. He knows how to contest on the ball. He knows how to hold his own down low against bigger body players um, because he plays at an angle to where he has the advantage. He doesn't necessarily let them back him down the spots where he can't ultimately make a play on the ball. It's a big mm-hmm. reason why his stocks, I, I don't have his, his steal block of buy numbers in front of me. I think it's like somewhere still around a four, right? They're close to three and a half. It's at 3.4 right now. Yeah. Three and a half. You could round that up to four. Like there's a reason why he's one of the better defensive playmakers in the country. So I think it's mm-hmm. about his approach to defense. And then when you throw in how I feel he's going to keep filling out, I think he will be um, more in the realm of guarding like fours and fives. And he can step out some threes depending on the matchup, depending on the defensive scheme. The other point that you brought up about self-creation is really interesting, Stephen, and, and I want to get your take on this because we talk about – we use the term self-creation for, you know, creating something off the dribble out of a few combo moves, right? Being Correct. able to create space for yourself. Self-creation can also be defined as just getting yourself in the right situations to be able to catch and shoot the ball. Like sure. self-creators, like like spot-up shooters, like even in this draft class, like Max Christie, for example, he's mm-hmm. still working on creating something off the dribble when he is able to get himself free in those situations. He has a floater he can go to. Actually, it looks pretty good. Big reason why I've moved him up my board drastically because he's put, he's put forth a case where I think that he is a legitimate 2022 prospect. And if you're looking at him as a 2022 prospect, you kind of have to rank him highly and accordingly around the lottery because if everything hits for him, that's the type of player he is. That's where he needs to go. But in that aspect of his game, what's his main creation point? It's being able to shoot off of the move, 
it's being able to run and create space for himself by relocating. Exactly. I mean, Keegan, Keegan Murray does a lot of the same things. Keegan Murray establishes himself very well in the post. He seals off incredibly well. He is very adept at getting himself free on the elbows to where he can turn and get that quick catch and shoot shot up. And if not, he can face his man up at the elbow. And if he has a bigger man on him, he can take that guy off the dribble, get to the basket, score that way. Um, is he going to be hitting like this amazing three, four combo forward defender who can lock anybody down with a co- series of combination moves and hitting off the bounce? No. If you pin him in the right space defensively, is he going to be able to effectively get himself out of that off the dribble or will he have to pass the ball back out to reset the offense? That's also a reality. I saw that in the Rutgers game. One of the big things they did defensively was pin him in the deep corner to the point where he wasn't able to, to get around guys who had similar size or, or similar athletic ability to him because of where they put him on the floor. But as long as he recognizes that, passes the ball out, doesn't turn it over, then relocates to an area on the floor where he can establish offense, that's more what I'm looking for for a player like Keegan Murray. And especially when you factor in the amount of space that he'll have in the NBA versus what he has in college, that's only going to further benefit him. So that's those are my two counters to those points. I don't know if you have any other thoughts before we move on. Well, and the thing is, is like, I feel weird that I'm arguing kind of against the guy that I still really <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I still have, a, a, I feel like a, a solid and fair grade for him. You know, early in the season, I've compared him to the guys like, you know, Antoine Jameson or an Al Harrington type player in today's NBA with a little bit like, he's a guy that you can trust to maybe make two dribbles and make a pass, but he's going to be effective you know, finishing around the basket and spreading the floor. You know what I mean? And on the defensive end, I really like him as a help defender, right? I I think that that's his most ideal role. I don't like him as a primary rim protector. And so that's why I have him a little bit. But, you know, seven, eight, he's definitely performing at the college level like a guy who can just give whatever the heck he wants. And he looks really good doing it this season. And again, you know, arguing against a guy that I feel like I still like really a, a lot is uh is weird for me but it's also cool just to have that conversation of people who like him even more so than i just to give me a little bit more perspective and understanding yeah i'm not i'm not gonna knock you for having somebody like a duran over him for example i think that's that's reasonable that's fair we're just not going to have a clean evaluation on duran this year we, we've kind yep. of said that multiple times um we're gonna have to wait and see what he ultimately looks like in the nba but for some of those other wings and guards that might be below keegan murray I would much rather bet on the the size, the skill, the feel, um, as opposed to some of those other players. So that's really why he's pushed up more in, in my rankings. It, it's this draft class. If it was like a draft class like last year, would he be late lottery? I don't even know if he'd be late lottery. He might be like a mid-first-round guy. But, I mean, that also last year was just an exceptional draft class. But in, yeah, in He this, might be getting drafted by players. Memphis last year. That's <laughs> my vein, you know, so, so absolutely. Yeah, exactly. All right, so – I'm going to ask you this question. I've been floating it out on Twitter a lot. I don't believe that you and I have dialogued about this question. And I'm so glad to get you on today's show and talk about these two players in particular. I kind of shuffled the notes around a little bit from what I sent you initially. I want to talk to you about EJ Dell. And the reason I brought him up immediately after a Keegan Murray is because I don't think that the level of talent are they. So I'm going to kind of prelude this. They don't play the exact same style of basketball. But I think that you can put these two in in a bit of a comparison because I think that they are scalable, maybe more so to the wing for Murray and more so to the the small ball five role for Liddell. But I think ideally they're both going to probably give you minutes at the four. 
I think that EJ Liddell has been severely underrated throughout most of this season, even so by me, because he's 33rd on my last board. He has since gone up over the past couple of weeks. He's kind of flirting with a high 20 range. He might continue to go up. I'm, re- I'm really loving what I'm seeing from an EJ Liddell. I'm going to ask you this, Nathan, before we start getting into the numbers and the breakdown. Do you think the level of talent is that significant between a Keegan Murray and an EJ Liddell? Like if you're looking at them one by one, maybe not even relative to everybody else in the draft class, but if you're, this is a heavyweight boxing match and you're getting the tail of the tape ready, how much more of an advantage do you give a Keegan Murray than to an EJ Liddell? I would give Keegan Murray a, a significant enough edge because I think he's overall, he's a smarter basketball player on both ends of the floor and then I also buy although it's funny a big reason why Liddell has shot right back up draft boards mine included is that he's maintained the three-point percentage mm-hmm. mechanically I still buy Keegan Murray as a much better floor spacer over time um, than I do EJ Liddell but it, to your point we're talking about two forwards who are producing at high levels for for pretty good teams so absolutely Liddell needs to be in the first round conversation. I apologize. I didn't have him in that part of the conversation <laughs> earlier on. I just, I needed to see, I needed to see the consistency. And to that point, he has been one of the most consistent players in, in all of college basketball. Well, everything that he's doing right now, Ohio state, that I'm sure you'll mention in the stats translate in the NBA. I don't know if it will to this high of a level, um, but, but he's certainly stood out as a role player who deserves more attention. For sure. And, and the reason I bring this up, you know, to to continue my my honesty and transparency, I have Keegan Murray rated above EJ Liddell. But the reason I keep bringing this conversation up is I use Keegan Murray as a reference point because everyone regards him so highly. EJ Liddell doesn't get, I believe, you know, a fair a fair assessment in his game and his ability. I use Keegan Murray as a reference point to point at an EJ Liddell, maybe to continue to bring him up into you know, public conversation and discourse and maybe start having people consider him a little bit more seriously as an NBA prospect. That's the reason why I use that that uh, that conversation piece there. But EJ Liddell is giving you about 20 points per game on 13 shots per game, over seven and a half rebounds, close to three assists per game, half a steal a game, two and a half blocks per game, shooting close to 52% from the floor, 56% on his twos, 40% on his threes, 75% from the line, He's got a turnover percentage of only 13.2, an assist percentage of 20.2, usage percentage of just a hair under 32%, and just a hair under a 62% true shooting percentage. Per synergy overall, he's got a 91st percentile grade, so a little bit less than a Keegan Murray, but he's got a better defensive percentile at 29. And as you pointed out earlier, Nathan, you know, a lot of that sometimes is reflected upon how the team is performing yep. defense. It's still really hard to assess individual defense in a statistic because you know it's it's a team it's more so a team concept on that side of a ball than than an offensive end so running through the numbers here nathan what do you make of ej liddell you know do you think that he's going to be most effective as a four do you think that he can give you minnesota as a small ball five what do you think his role is going to be you know offensively defensively you know what's your breakdown of him so far so a name that's been thrown around, I'm, I'm not going to take credit for this name. I'm going to give credit where credit is due. But I think if you're buying into EJ Liddell, you're seeing some sort of version of, as Corey Tulliva said, a Paul Millsap type of player. Mm-hmm. And as a high-end comp for EJ Liddell, if you really feel like there's a chance for him to kind of be that Paul Millsap type of forward who can also play 
small ball five because he does have more length than you would initially want to give him credit for. That's a big reason why Liddell's blocking the amount of shots that he is. You trust him to hold his own in the post. You trust that those post moves are going to translate to the NBA, and then you bet that he can stretch the floor well enough to also offer spacing playing at that four position, which is probably better suited for him long-term. I don't think that he's – like you, you have concerns about Keegan Murray as a rim protector. I, I would have more concerns about EJ Liddell as a rim protector. He's just not – he's not as big as Keegan ultimately. Um, but, but he is really tough. He's a grinder. Mm-hmm. He's a worker. Clearly he's a grinder and a worker because he came back after getting all that feedback last year from the combine and has really turned himself into one hell of a player. I, I, I think the, the majority of us in those ceilings have him in like that 27 to 30 range. Uh, Rucker actually came in on the high end for his big board. He had him at 22, which is that, that, That's about that, where may, I have him. that may very well be where he climbs, Steven. You might end up being right with, with his ranking because, again, it all a lot of it really depends on who is ultimately going to stay in the draft. Like mm-hmm. some of these names like a Peyton Watson, like a Usman Diang. If some of these guys don't ultimately stay in the draft, that right away is going to clear up spots um, for EJ Liddell to move up. And then if we see him go on a, a really nice Big Ten and, and NCAA tournament run, if we see him in workouts, he's getting really good feedback there. We start hearing some things, factoring in the intel we're hearing about with our rankings, then he could absolutely um, rise up because that's that's the type of player that he could be in the NBA. Am I going to bet on him being a starting forward in the NBA? I don't know if I would make that bet. But if we're talking about guys who you could see being like the sixth, seventh, or an eighth man in like a mm-hmm. really good team's rotation for years and years to come, and we're just looking at the type of player who NBA teams would love to draft and who we've seen stick in the league, especially throughout the years, we don't see him flaming out. That'd be a really good bet to make on, on somebody like EJ Liddell. And if he's there for a playoff team, like the 26 to 30 range, you're talking about the type of value you could possibly get from that pick on a four-year Ultimately, it turns out to be like a four-year rookie contract. I think a lot of professional teams would, would jump on that in a heartbeat. So I, I, I think this is the right place to have him right now. But it would not shock me if we keep going on months on end and we have more, even more time to review the tape and we see the big-time performances and big games that he just rises up and, and he cracks that top twenty. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. You know, he, I'm flirting with having him in that twenty range right now. Even started this new, uh, you know, on my sub stack, I'm starting to put draft profiles together uh, for future kind of bigger projects that I have in mind. And I, I wrote on my piece for EJ Liddell and my little synopsis, like looking forward, he, he might even climb a little bit higher on my board if he continues this. And what I'm loving, what I love that I see from him is that he is giving you a little bit of creation off the dribble, like Ohio State lets him put the ball on the floor a little bit. And it looks so awkward, right? Because it's he's so he's so he's wide you know you, yeah you talked about he's not that. He tall, he's have, wide. Yep. yeah like you were saying that he doesn't have great size compared to keegan murray i think he's maybe like an inch or two shorter but he's wider so i think that he's that's sick. kind of where yeah. he makes up for it you know he's very strong very solid it looks awkward with him dribbling the ball but it's very functional and he knows what he's doing like he's very confident in himself he's not super ambidextrous you know he's very you know strong-sided on, on his dribbling there but I love the versatility that he's giving you on the offensive end. I also like him as kind of like a weak side rim protector as well. And I think just moving forward, he's just a guy that he's showing that, like you said, he he took the advice that was given to him when he tried to get his look at the pros last season. He came back, put it into practice. The work ethic, I, I'm a big you know work ethic guy. 
when it comes to drafting guys because you're investing millions of dollars in these players as you well know nathan like you don't want to be flippant in who you're giving like a a promise to right and a guy that's giving a promise to you with that same contract so i like ej liddell a lot i'm glad to see that other people are, are recognizing his abilities too and a shout out to Rucker for having him roughly in the same ranges where I do now. I feel like I'm still a little bit late to the party myself. I wish that I was, I wish I would have bought into what I saw from him earlier on in the season. But much like you, Nathan, I've had very much like a, I got to wait and see. I need you to prove it to me a little bit more mentality with him. And another guy that we've needed to see prove himself, a, a guy that you just mentioned earlier, Max Christie playing out of Michigan State. And just when everybody was about ready to write him off, Max Christie is starting to figure things out. Um, let's he's not... let's let's stop really quickly though and Please. just talk about what "quote unquote" writing him off would actually mean. So anybody out there who, so so I started out the first edition of my board. I had Max Christie at twelve, based off of what we saw very early in the season. And again, as you and I have talked about. That 1.0 edition of the board generally goes back to the preseason work we've done as well. So that yes, factors in heavily. Once we get to 2.0, then we start to look at what we actually have in front of us as we have a much better sample size to go off of. And we try to project, is this somebody who's actually going to be in the 2022 draft, let alone what kind of prospect is he? How should we grade him right now? Like, Is he actually going to keep his name in the draft? There are still questions up to this day, depending on who you talk to, that like, because of the situation that he's in with Tom Izzo in a great program with things that he knows he needs to work on, there's still belief, depending on who you talk to, that he could very well go back to school for a sophomore season. So when I completely removed him off of my board, which, again, was was only a top 30 ranking in 2.0, sure. he would have absolutely been in the 30s if I would have done a, a – I had a him at, like, pool. 29. So, he like, I was very much – at one point, I was, like – I'm still holding on a little bit to preseason expectations, but if the, my next board doesn't come around and he's doing better, he's gone. So I was like, I was like right there with you, man. Sure. But now he's jumped back up the 3.0 edition of my board all the way back up to 14. So in mm. reality, over the course of all of this time, he's really effectively only moved down two spots. And that really comes back to some of the consistency that you and I have talked about. He has yep. not been... He's certainly had some up nights. He's had some down nights. Thankfully, through the through the end of December and then the month of January, he's had a lot more up nights, in my opinion, than down nights. Now, would an up night always be reflected in the stats? Like, did he still have some poor shooting performances in there? Yes, but did he do some of those things that I would consider an up night? Did he show some things on film that I'm like, all right, this is going to translate to the NBA much better than I thought it would have a month ago? Absolutely. So that's really why I've had to move him back up the board his numbers his counting numbers as i'm sure you're going to go over some of the statistics as you'll read off they won't blow you away but yeah. if you actually go back and watch the tape you evaluate the jump shot properly you know the mechanics are going to translate you know the types of shots that he's taking are going to translate he takes good shots he really doesn't take bad shots he has no. some bad misses sometimes but he takes good shots um and, and then before you read off some of the stats He's also defended his tail off all year long. All That's year. something that nobody's talked about. He has he has not slid in terms of the defensive metrics that you could look at all year long. And that shows up on tape. Six, six long defenders who can guard multiple positions in the NBA with that shooting stroke. You kind you kind of have to just slot him where you're gonna slot him, man. That's that's just the long and short of it. 
You no, know, no, wholeheartedly agree. And I'm going to read off these counting numbers, and this is taking the entire season into effect, yeah. right? So, to to like you just alluded to, Nathan, to get a, an appreciation of what he's done recently, you got to hit the game logs, you got to hit the film, and you have to kind of segment parts of the season off to understand like what kind of player he's going to be. Because right now he's giving you just under 10 points per game. He's only getting about eight attempts per game, um, three rebounds, an assist and a half, half a steal. Over half a block, which we'll talk more about his defense here in a minute. Almost 39% from the floor, 44% overall from twos. Only about 32% on his deep ball. 84% from his free throws. An addition of touch, right? Um, a turnover percentage of just under 13. An assist percentage of just over 9. Almost an 18% usage percentage and a 51% true shooting percentage. On both sides of the ball per synergy, he grades out in the 55th percentile. So, Nathan, you brought up his defense, and I'm glad that you did. I like his prospects as kind of like a point of attack defender at the next yeah. level. He's not going to be – I don't think that he's going to be like that 99th percentile of a point of attack defender, yeah. but I think that he's very capable. He's a guy with length, and depending on the team that he goes to, if your lead guard isn't best known as a defender, he's a guy that should be able to pick up the other teams when he's on the floor – um, he should be able to pick up the other team's best offensive player because he is extremely competitive on the defensive side of the ball. I like his switchability basically on the perimeter. I don't know how scalable he'll be, you know, if there's like a 4-1 switch or anything like that. I don't know how he'll scale at the NBA level on bigs. Maybe that's an area where teams try to hunt him when he's on the floor. But overall, defensively, I like his competitiveness and his wherewithal a lot. Offensively, he is so adept at finding the open spot on the floor. And whether or not he makes it this season has been a completely different conversation. But Nathan, you and I will agree that he is so adept at finding the open spot. He doesn't really foretell where he's going on the court whenever he's operating around screens, which is a very subtle and underrated conversation because it's easy to see a set and understand like, okay, this guy was showing where he was going to go the entire time. But subtle, you know, contortions with his body he can manipulate a defense like in a split second, and that's all it takes when you're operating around the screen in order to get an open look. And he does from deep range. And I'm also loving what I'm seeing. You mentioned the floater. The mid-range operability that he has in college is very fun to watch too because he can give you some el like elbow or you know short quarter extended looks, and he converts on that end too. So, Nathan, overall offensively, I like him. Not tr not a traditional three-level score because I don't know if he can break a man down off of a dribble, but if you're talking about a jump shooter, there's really not a place on the court that I don't trust Max Christie to convert. No, I agree. And he the, the reason why we're going to rank him so high is offensively, he does have some, some room for improvement as a secondary creator. Um, yeah. Like when you get him going off handoff actions or have him coming off screens and then you ask him to make the next decision after that, whether it be to hit a roll man in stride, um, hit somebody in the corner, just keep the ball moving and or go after it and score it himself. Those are going to be things that he's capable of doing. Is he somebody you want to, to bring the ball to the floor all the time? No. But can he, can he come off of other actions and then create a play for somebody else? I think that that's something that's been a little underrated. And we've even seen some pick and roll creation examples at, at Michigan State already. So that's that's another aspect of his game. It's not going to be ready right when he gets to the NBA, but as he continues to develop in the league, I think he's actually going to have some interesting moments um, as a secondary ball handler in the NBA. So when you factor that in, 
along with all the other aspects we talk about with his perimeter scoring and his shooting, and then the defense likely going to do, I, I'd say, pretty well on, on NBA ones and twos, depending on the matchup. I mean, shoot, like any superstar guard can convert anybody on every given night, right? But for the most part, we're talking majority. He's going to yeah. hold his own pretty well on ones and twos, and he's six six. He he's another guy who has these these, these wider shoulders. He has this frame. You know he's going to be able to put on weight and add strength. I think he's going to hold his own on on threes as well. So one through three, switchable defender, lights out shooter, capable secondary ball handler. Like that player has to go at in or around the lottery. Like the 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 given where the NBA is at right now, you you can't have a situation where he's not going that high if he's in the draft. Yeah, and right now I have, or excuse me, on my 3.0, I had him 21st, and that was an eight-spot jump, which is pretty substantial, yeah. right? Like, Nathan, you you understand this as, as a guy making a big board on a monthly basis. An eight-position jump is a huge indication that you're doing something the right way. And we'll transition away from Max Christie now because it sounds like, although there's a little bit of disparity on where you had him on your board and I, it looks like we're seeing the same things, and he's definitely trending in the right direction. And we'll transition to another guy who took a massive leap on my big board uh, very recently. But on my 3.0, I'm so sorry, Walker Kessler, for the disrespect. I had you 44th. And I I am a man that has no problem admitting when I am wrong. I've been married for 12 years. I, I think I'm getting pretty good at it now. But um, I was completely wrong in, in where I was evaluating Walker Kessler and you know, we'll continue to give Rucker his props here on the show. I love the fact that, like, sometimes when you're talking with Rucker, I'm sure that you experience this too, is that he has these, like, aha moments. It's like, I get it. I see it. Like, I didn't see it before. I see it now. Let's push what I'm seeing. That's where I'm at with Walker Kessler because, like I said, I had him 44th on my board. I believe I have him around 25 now. So, again, I gave Max Christie an eight-spot leap. I'm giving Walker Kessler like an almost 20 spot jump because I'm starting to get it. I'm understanding some of the concerns that I had with him, you know, in terms of athleticism, physicality, like I still have a little bit of concerns on the, on the athleticism aspect. And, you know, the fact that he's primarily going to be like a drop coverage center that limits the number of teams that are looking at adding you um, because of this, a lot of schemes that some other teams run, but now I'm starting to get, why Walker Kessler is a, uh, it, it had been so high on a lot of uh, folks boards, like, um, you know, mutual friend of ours, chucking dogs. He's been a Walker Kessler guy all season long. So Nathan, I disrespected our guy. I had him 44th on my board. Can you talk to me a little bit about what you see when you watch him and where, what your placement is on him right now? I, I had Kessler at 28th and Steven, given where consensus is right now, I can't tell you how many big boards and mock draft updates I've seen this week that have Kessler like in the lottery. Yeah. And, 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 and not, not even exaggerating when I say that he has, he has jumped all the way from probably like an, an early to, to mid second round target all the way up to potential lottery consideration. And it's really when you factor in a lot of the numbers regarding his, his block percentages, how many overall blocks that he's had on the season, as well as what he's averaging per game. The fact that he doesn't do anything sexy on the offensive end, but he's looked much more comfortable taking jumpers of late. He's actually made some, which is fantastic for his prospects. Um, just his level of dominance up to this point 
being the best player on one of the best teams in the country with size, not, not a, a, an incredible athlete, but he certainly has functional athleticism, just the pure size over seven feet tall with his length. He just swallows up people. He knows how to wall them off and just swallow them up. It doesn't matter what angle somebody's going at him around the basket. He's going to get his hand on that shot and he's going to block it. Like you like to call Chet the Venus flytrap. Are we sure yeah. that Walker Kessler is, is <laughs> the real Venus flytrap? Like his his production on, on both ends of the floor. And again, he's not putting up like these 25 point double doubles or or triple doubles every single night, but you can tell how he scores in, in, in the NCAA. It's going to translate in the NBA. He's going to cut to the basket. He's going to get some post-up opportunities. He's going to get some open jump shots. He's going to be a, a lob threat finishing in transition. All of the easy play types, you can check those boxes. He can score out of them. He can rebound the ball effectively. He's been the best shot blocker in the country up to this point. All of the numbers would scream that he needs to be like a first-round draft pick. And that's really between watching the film and then looking at some of the statistical production. That's the realization I came with, even going back to like my 2.0 board, I was so close to having him um, in the first round. And for my money, I have not been as high on some of these other big men that we can talk about in this class. I know we're going to talk about at least one more on this podcast. If I were selecting one of these bigs in the back half of the first round, my money was was on Walker Kessler, and that was that way like oh, since over a month ago when I did that podcast with with Chuck. Speaking of Chuck, I had him on specifically to to talk about Mr. Kessler, and he has he has really blown me away because I I did not see this coming from the guy that we saw in North Carolina last year. I did not see this coming for Walker Kessler to a point of not just being a a good college basketball player with some pro prospects to becoming a dominant. Mm-hmm. college basketball player with immediate payouts in terms of him being a pro prospect. I guess it's really, if you're buying into Walker Kessler, you're probably buying into the fact that he's going to look some somewhat like Rick Lopez has looked like for the Milwaukee Bucks. Not, not the dominant low post scoring. I got every single move in the book, Brooke Lopez from Brooklyn, yeah. but the guy in Milwaukee who is one of the better rim protectors in the league, he can play drop coverage. He can space the floor. He is a high IQ player. He can keep the ball moving, functional, um, playing off of other guards and wings. That's the type of player I think you would project Walker Kessler to be. And that type of big man, especially, again, when we talk about drafting late in the first round, if he would even fall to that point, I guess, at this point. But what are these playoff teams who could have a player like him in the rotation on a cheap rookie deal for the first four years? That's the type of big man that NBA teams are looking to add to their rotation. So I'd I just think that out of the out of that group of guys, Mark Williams included, I just think that Walker Kessler, for my money, projects the best to the NBA game. Yeah, and I think when it, when I scouted, you know, Auburn live, I went specifically to go see Jabari Smith Jr. because he's yeah, you're the guy you're see, seeing him in person. Speak of it, yeah, people, like talk to me. Yeah, and so seeing him in person was kind of like okay, like. My first time ever scouting in game live, right? So again, I'll be completely transparent. Like I'm learning at things to look at, you know, and I'm, I'm going to keep getting better and keep doing my homework and talking to people who watch people live. I was very impressed with this pregame. And Jabari Smith was not, when they played South Carolina, he was not super impressive. Like he still made winning plays, although he he didn't really do much. Like he scored like 10 points and a lot of it came at the free throw line at the tail end of the game. But Walker Kessler, like his pregame 
routine was just phenomenal because it's just him and mine trying to get to the basket, getting beat up by a bunch of assistant coaches with, you know, pads, you know, they're all trying to get him off balance. He looks so long. It's like it, it was to the point to where I thought his his fingertips were going to be dragging on the floor. That's how long his arms are. And it looks like that on film, too. Right. So the shot blocking phenomenon that he is, you, you spoke to him being the Venus flytrap. I think when when comparing him and Chet, Walker Kessler doesn't give you like that optical illusion like a Chet Holmgren does. Like he does. He's like, OK, here's this skinny guy. He's tall, but Chet skinny. Walker is just a mountain like he, he he's yeah. the man and that's you know Splash Mountain is the nickname for Brooke Lopez so maybe that is a little bit of an apt comparison there I'm a little curious on him spacing the floor because he does get shots up and even in warm-ups you know he when he's open and everyone looks like a a great shooter in warm-ups wasn't really particularly impressed with his um, shot even on open looks and warm-ups he's working on it man he's, he's, working, he's working on, on it, it. No, and I and I get that, but I'm saying that I think a lot of it has to do with his motion and mechanics because it looks like a like a trebuchet, you know, like he's launching pumpkins all over his shoulder right now. And I think that if that gets cleaned up, that'll help him out a lot. But you're not drafting Walker Kessler to be some sort of offensive savant nope. if you're if you're taking him. You're getting a, a guy who, you know, people are giving comparison to like a Brooke Lopez, like how you just spoke on. I, I'm hearing even Rudy Gobert type comparisons because i think that as a as a rim deterrent not just a protector but as a guy who is going to take away looks just by being on the floor a lot of a lot of comparisons between rudy gobert that i think are pretty apt there he runs the floor well like you just mentioned nathan he does have the potential to be a better shot and if you look at his free throw percentage he's only shooting about 66 percent from the line which i think is about an indication that i don't imagine him being like a five plus percent three point shooter ever, but maybe working into like that 32, 34% range where you still have to respect him. And if he's on maybe the short corner or something like that, he can kind of find a spot that he's effective from. But Walker Kessler right now is giving you 12 points per game on eight attempts, eight rebounds, one steal, four points and blocks is updated from last night, 63% for, or excuse me, 64% from the floor, 20% from deep. 66% from the line. He's got a turnover percentage of 11%, an assist percentage of 6 a 19% usage percentage, which is amazing to me considering how much he's actually on the floor, and a 66% true shooting percentage because most of that's around the basket. Um, he's in the 99th percentile overall offensively, and then defensively he's in the 78th. So, Nathan, you're drafting Walker Kessler. We can lavish the defensive side of the ball all day long like we did. What's his ideal role coming in? Is it just a role man? Is that what you're getting Walker Kessler to do if you're if you're scheming him on the offensive side? Yeah, play, play finisher. Just just okay. boiling it down to, to play finisher. Um, doing more of the dirty work, getting him involved in easy play types, letting him cut to the basket, let him roll the finish, getting him out of transition, get him in the open. That's really what you're asking Walker Kessler to do. You're not asking – I don't even know how much you're asking him to space the floor right away. Yeah. I don't even know how much you even want him taking those shots right away. Let that be something he works on on the back burner. But, I mean, when he comes into the league, just even being a play finisher combined with everything he does on the boards and defensively, he's going to be a, a productive bench player, and he's probably going to end up starting at, at, at some point during his yep. rookie year, um, just depending on injuries and the way that NBA seasons go. Like, he's, he's going to get some spot starts in there. And I think as he continues to build out the rest of that offensive game, namely that, that open spot-up jump shot, 
once he gets more of that into the mix, that's when we're going to start to see um, starting caliber Walker Kessler a lot more often. I just, I just think he's going to be a big who hangs around the league for a long time because his game isn't predicated on athleticism like a Mark Williams, like an Ishmael Kamigate we're going to talk about in a second. He's not, he's not built like those guys. He's a lot more functional. He's a lot more skilled. He's, he's not unathletic, but he's not blazing up and down the court yeah. or, or finishing these ridiculous dunks that you just go, how the hell did that happen? Um, but yeah, I, I really like functional, smart players like him and just given the production, I, I want to bet on him the most, man. Yeah, and you took literally. I was gonna say he's a functional athlete. So the fact that you and I are saying the same thing that probably means a lot. So we'll transition now away from Walker Kessler to a teammate that I'm not gonna lie to you, Nathan. When you when I saw that you had Alan Flanagan on your board um, as high as you did, I said, "Oh my goodness!" Because early on, my my one auto, I was right there with you. What I'm seeing now, I'm I'm curious to see what your sell is to have. Alan Flanagan, um, where you did, because he was 75th on my board. Um, a lot of that having to do with injury, a lot of that having to exactly. do with, yeah. A my, lot of my, my sell, yeah, but my sell on a man is like, if you thought he was potentially a top 30, top 40 player yep. the first time around, did you think he was going to look like that coming back from his injury? Did you think he was going to be that clean of a fit with a team that's built its own identity with him completely off the court, a team that's, been one of the best teams in the country without him on the floor. And now they're going to integrate him back in. It doesn't necessarily matter how talented of a player he is. He's not, he's not the, the overall impact talent, like a top 14 draft pick to the point where you're bringing him back on the floor. We have to immediately put the ball in his hand like 10, 12 times a game. We got to see what he's capable of. Like Alan Flanagan's type of player is going to try to fit in first and foremost. And when he has his opportunities and when he does look good, he looks like a first round wing. Because when you do project out what he can do on the floor, what's not to like about the package? Like 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, can shoot open jump shots, can finish in transition, is a plus athlete for the position, um, tenacious defender when we've seen him at his best. Maybe not mm-hmm. quite this year, um, because I think he's trying to save himself in some respects, be able to contribute on both ends, not just sell himself out for one end. But when he was at his best last year for Auburn, he was one of the better defensive wings I think I watched on film in the country. And that was a big reason why um, my, what, one of my old mates who I used to do the podcast with was like, we need to talk about Alan Flanagan as a possible draft prospect. And mm-hmm. I know that things happened. He ultimately wasn't in that draft, but he was a very draftable prospect then. And so just given the circumstances, given how we know it takes guys time to come back from certain injuries, I've been willing to be a lot more patient with Flanagan and I kind of just wanted to see what it would look like on the court to see maybe not complete performances, but if there were enough flashes of the player that he was last year to give me the confidence to say, okay, if he's able to do this, this, and this, even just flashes of it, he's probably going to enter the draft. And if he's going to enter the draft, I'm going to look at it. And then like that 30 to 40 range. Yeah. And you know, when I'm look, when I looked at Alan Flanagan, I probably wouldn't have had him this low, but I don't know why, but for whatever reason, I was under the impression that his injury would have kept him out for a substantial amount of time this season. That's and what going, I thought too. And then he came yeah. back <laughs> and, he, and then he came back. Right. So, but what I'm seeing from him at Auburn is, is that I do agree with you. He, he gives me a little bit of like Terrence Shannon jr. Vibes and the fact that he's very athletic. Like you're looking at him as a transition finisher. You kind of like him as a defender. What I'm having a hard time with right now 
And I, I don't know how much of it is him just having to get, to literally get his legs back under, up underneath us. The shooting has shoot, not been consistent. I knew that's shooting, where we were going. <laughs> yeah, his shooting performances have not been very great at all. So that's why I've been a little bit of more hesitant with him. But again, you know, that 75th on my board is due to a lot of the fact that I thought that the injuries were going to keep him out a little bit longer and kind of prorating that out. But, you know, I'll have to watch a little bit more of him because, like you said earlier, diving a little bit deeper into the tail end of my boards and even beyond on some of these other guys. Flanagan's probably going to have to be a guy that I dive back into because if you're willing to have him as high as you do, I know that you're pretty careful with some of these guys. If you like the flashes that you're seeing, that speaks to me, and I'll probably have to go back and watch a little. Yeah, bit it's it's more so that when I when I when I chop apart this section of guys, that's like thirty to forty three on my board, and I gave which is a, not a very wide margin of talent level. No, no, and, and and I gave a very bold disclaimer on my podcast that essentially once you get past like forty three or forty four. I do not have those rankings solidified (laughs) in the slightest. Those are kind of just like my group of guys that I feel are the next best group to be coming in, to be ranked in the second round. And then I have another section of guys, even after those guys who I'm watching, they kind of throw in like, all right, if this guy doesn't declare, he's not in the draft, like I'm going to throw this guy in. So some of those back end rankings aren't solidified, but if you take a look, some of the names I have in 30 to 43, I have Alan Flanagan at 30. Then I have, in order, Kennedy Chandler, Christian Brown, Jordan Hall, Trevor Keels, Wendell Moore, Jan Montero, Hugo Basson, Harrison Ingram, J.D. Davison, Ishmael Kamigate, who we'll talk about, yes. Josh Minot, Alondez Williams, and then you get to like Jaime Hawkins at like 43. I think there are a number of those guys who have real chances to stick in the NBA, and not just stick, but be Pretty decent players for, yeah. for what it's worth, like pretty decent bench guys. But out of all those guys, at the beginning, you have the Kennedy Chandlers, the Christian Brown, the Jordan Hall, and then two of the Duke guys. Like, I think that those guys do have some starter potential. But out of that grouping, I think Alan Flanagan might have the most starter potential out of all of them, which is the reason why I really wanted to put him at the top of that group. Now, we still have a few months to go. Could sure. he fall in that group and give way to some of those other guys that I've reeled off? Absolutely. But that's kind of like the cluster I have him in right now. And if I'm factoring in at this point, we're in the 30 to 45 range, just trying to bet long-term who I actually feel will not only stick in the league, but has a chance to be a starter. He's he's right in that group of like five guys. And, and, and I wanted to put him at, at the top of that group at 30. And and I get it, and that's fair. You know, coming, I was really big on, like I said, coming into the season, I was really big on him. And I'm sure as the pendulum's back to the other way, when I get around to watching more film of him, now that I've been aware that he's been he's been playing more, I'm gonna have to look a little bit at that shooting and see how much of that is, you know, him recovering from injury, or how much of that is just, you know, him for whatever reason not knowing how to shoot. Because I mean, even last season, you know, if you're looking at the shooting numbers, they weren't super super flattering either right so it'll be interesting to see how much that translates and grows but one other guy that you mentioned that we're going to be talking about today who was in that similar thing was Ishmael Kamagate I want all of your thoughts on this man I want I want all of your thoughts well you'll get them so (laughs) I'm curious though because you I'm paraphrasing here 
but you froze when you started talking about Ishmael Kamalagate and not saying froze like you didn't know what you were saying, but like you paused, you parked and you and you went on a little bit more of a conversational piece when you got to Ishmael Kamagate than you did some of these other guys. And I was like, oh, man, Nathan's starting to see it like he's starting to see a little bit of what I love about him. So why did you do that with Ishmael compared to some of these other guys? Like what stood out about him to you? Did you want to be like? okay, like, I know that I have him in this range now, but it felt like you started seeing that, like, he might be a, a quick riser out of that group. At least that's what I gathered when I listened to you. I mean, you flip on the film, immediately the athleticism pulls you in, right? Like, this mm -hmm. dude is an athletic freak. And I got to be honest, I don't know who's the better athlete between him and Mark Williams. I mm -hmm. think the answer might actually be Kamigate, which is crazy to say because some of the things that Mark Williams does when he when hit when Mark Williams motor is running hot at Duke you can absolutely see the picture why there are plenty of scouts who view him as like a top 20 prospect I'm not quite there but when you do flip on the highest of highs I see it some of the dunks and some of the plays that he's able to finish and some of the blocks he's able to get even on the perimeter are ridiculous well you see that from Kamigate but then you also start to see some of this really intriguing mid-range pull-up scoring. And mm -hmm. it's like, oh, 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 oh. Mark so Williams fun. doesn't have that in his bag. Walker Kessler <laughs> doesn't have that in his bag. Not yet. And you start to see, like, is he going to be this, like, five-man who, yes, he can serve himself well in the more traditional offensive play types, but is he also going to be some crazy, like, pull-up type scorer? Like, is he actually going to be able to get his own shot off the bounce? And if that's like a little case, bit of Pascal Siakam, like he's he's taller and a little bit thinner than a, a Pascal Siakam, but he he gives like his post moves and like the how fluid he is whenever he can put the ball oh, on the this, ground. For a first of all, first of all, I'll be shocked if this guy's at a Toronto Raptor by by the end of the draft. If he's in this draft, I'd be shocked if, if, if <laughs> he fits the archetype, doesn't he? Exactly. But he might be a little too tall to be a Raptor, but yeah, absolutely. He's athletic. But, He's, he's an active shot blocker. He's averaging, again, in, in a pro league overseas for Paris, he's averaging over one block per game. Mm -hmm. He gets his hand on the ball even in passing lanes. Is he the most cerebral basketball player? I don't think so quite yet. I think there's, there's ways for him to come on both ends of the floor. But just in terms of pure raw potential, um, I have him at 40 right now. And as I said on my pod that, that you alluded to, I had to stop and talk about him. One, because I really <laughs> hadn't said many words on him in the first place. So I wanted to give a little spiel on him. But yeah, in terms of guys in that 30 to 45 section who could keep rising, he's absolutely one. And 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 who knows? Maybe maybe by the end, maybe he really is challenging Walker or, or Mark for, for best big in the class. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think that I may not end up as high on Walker Kessler as some of the other people put him in the lottery. I think probably, probably not me either. <laughs> probably not. He he, but he. I think he will remain the best big in my mind. But I listen, man. I, I think it's much more of an open competition that we might give credit to 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 between him and and Mark Williams. And and I think the answer why the overwhelming majority would say Mark Williams between the two is mainly because of the exposure that the the film just isn't as available for Kamigate. They're not quite able to see what he's doing. But also, even when they do see the film, not understanding how that's ultimately going to translate in the NBA game because a lot of the, a lot of these international players, we give them credit. They do showcase skill overseas, yep. but in terms of actually contributing that skill level in an NBA game, they're usually a year or two away. 
um, from, from when they first come over. So would you be more willing to bet on somebody like Mark Williams contributing quicker? Yes. Does Mark Williams have more long-term potential than Kamigate? I think that question is very much open, open for debate. And I know it has been in the no-sealing circles. Yeah, so I'm going to open up. You said that you wanted my thoughts here. Victor Wembanyama, widely regarded to be a top three player next year in a very loaded draft class. And it, like that's the preliminary discussion that you're getting is that Victor Wembanyama might be the number one draft pick. I don't think any lower than three is what I'm hearing in a lot of you know outlets of where he's projected to go again in a very, very deep draft class. Ishmael Gamagate gave that man problems in their matchup early on in the yep. season. And if you want to look at numbers, you want to look at film, you know, former former guest on on my show, I know he's a mutual friend of ours, Rafael Barlow from Draft Junkies. You know, he he's over he's he's scouting international basketball probably as we speak right now. That man never stops. But he actually went and watched Paris Cat Bear excuse me, Paris Pasquet play basketball. I'm so excited here. And got to interview him. I loved the interview process, uh, listening yeah. to him speak about himself and then watching the warm up because much like it is for, you know, domestic products that we have as access here to in the States, the warm up process gives you a little bit more of like, okay, this is what this player could do. This is what this player is doing in his off time for his own development, not opportunities that he's given it throughout the, you know, duration of a game. Kamigate shooting 0% from deep because Paris Basquette won't let him shoot a deep he ball. He just doesn't he, shoot it. Right. He, he's, he's not afforded the opportunity. But if you watch him in warm-ups and you can kind of look at his free throw and and the that mid-range game that you were talking about, good, Nathan, it, he's got a, such a sweet-looking shot. So I think that translates. I think that he's got to get and will get a little bit stronger to be like a functional like yep. a rim protector. But I wouldn't rule it out. Um, depending on the team that he goes to, he will get stronger and he will develop um, based on the work ethic and things like that. But I love, you know, the the interior finishing, the ferocity that he has. And again, the fact that he bodied up Victor Wimbenyama, who a guy who's going to be a, a top three guy next season, that speaks to his production. So I had him on my 3.0 27th. He's gone up to around that 23, 24 range um, over the past couple weeks really high on him as an offensive minded center who can grow into a serviceable defensive one. But that's where I'm at with him, Nathan. And before we get out of here, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show again. You know, we do this monthly. It's been fun dissecting these prospects. I also want to give you an opportunity to kind of plug away and maybe speak to what your thought process was um, on, on the no ceiling Substack. You recently just put up a piece talking about, you know, your background a little bit as to where you got to be where you are now and kind of your calling in life right now is to help people. Something that you've been, you know, a big influence on me. I, I've told you offline, you know, you're kind of like my, my uh, NBA draft big brother. I don't even know. Like don't, don't make me cry on the podcast. Steve. Don't make <laughs> me do it. Come on, man. Don't, don't cry. But um, just being <laughs> real, I, I'm a real and transparent guy. I believe in giving people their flowers while they're still with me. But, um, you know, you've been like a, a NBA draft big brother to me. And uh, again, I don't know if you're older than me or whatever, but when it comes to NBA drafts, I'm, I'm 28. We can put our age in the open. I'm OK, you're 28. I'm 32. But when we're talking about like NBA draft coverage, like you're you're more senior to me in that aspect. So um, you've been a guy that I've talked to more so than probably people will even want to hear on the show offline. But you've been a big influence to me. So when I read that piece, I'm like, 
it felt like you were writing specifically to be like, okay, my calling is to help Steven Gillespie because he's done that so much. But um, it's been a lot to me, man. But I would just want to give you an opportunity just to kind of tell me like why you decided to write that piece and, you know, how you're using that to continue to, it seems like it's a, a mantra of yours or like a, a, a motto, if you will, is to help others. Yeah. So I think at different points, over the course of the life of the Substack, I think all of us at No Ceilings want to take turns kind of sharing a little bit of our journey and, and why we're doing what we're doing. Um, I know Corey Tullivar already, I think he was the first one to really do that over at the Substack. Or very early on, he wrote a piece explaining really why he, he wanted to get into scouting and why he loves what he does. And I wanted to share some of my story at some point. We, 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 needed, we needed a piece on the Substack this week. We needed me to pinch him this day. So I kind of thought instead of trying to, to do another draft piece or a prospect breakdown, why don't I just take the opportunity to share my story really quick? And what do I really believe in in terms of the work that I'm doing? And you're right. It, it all comes back to finding a way to meld multiple of my loves into one and then using that to be able to serve a greater purpose. Um, not, not, not plugging that no ceilings as any religious affiliations or anything, but I am a man of faith. Um, I, I am a Christian and I've always believed that what I need to do in life is to find a way to help other people. And in doing that in basketball, really the platform that I have in no ceilings, the platform that I've created to draft people with the podcast, it can serve two purposes. So the first purpose it can serve is, is what you alluded to, Stephen, which is helping other people connect to each other, mm -hmm. give advice, make people rethink parts of their scouting process make people rethink and reshape how they're evaluating prospects. And obviously as content for other people, as something they can flip on to, to maybe brighten their day or get a little more feel for something they have interest in the NBA draft. Some of the knowledge that I've gained, some of the experience over the years, I get to share that on the podcast or the Substack. And then the other part of it is what we do as public scouts is we can at times offer exposure on certain draft prospects, help other prospects, get their names out there in different ways that if we weren't doing this, maybe their name, maybe their film, maybe they're not talked about in the same exact way. And I know I'm not able to directly do that right now in a front office in terms of actually contributing to making a pick of one of these players. But at the same time, when I am able to share something about these guys and I'm able to write about them in such a way to where they get the exposure that they absolutely deserve because of the work they're putting in, when they're able to walk across that stage when they're drafted, when they're able to actually suit up for the first time, sign that contract, that's a life altering moment for that person as well as their family. And like, those are the things that inevitably I do tear up on draft nights. Like I, I do end up crying at multiple points. That's totally cool, man. Cause I'm just so happy for everything that's happening for these guys. And so it's really the fact that I'm able to have my hand in, in a little bit of all of those elements in doing what I'm doing. And that's why I feel that this is really my calling. This is really what I feel is my purpose to be here on this earth, to contribute in some way, shape or form to the discourse in, in basketball and most notably in, in the draft community and to help scout talent and help make other people's lives better. So that, that, that's the story of draft deeper. And I love that, man. And the fact that, you know, you're so open about that, you're willing to put yourself out there. Uh, to me, that's like, that's an act of courage because it doesn't take much, uh, you know, for social media at large to see something like that and to immediately counteract that with, with hateful speak. But what I love 
um, over this past, you know, few months that I've just submerged myself into, you know, draft evaluation. One is the community. You know, I did yeah. not, I was not aware, you know, I, I had an NBA show for the past couple seasons before this one. And I've had a few people on there, Nathan, you were one of them. And, you know, it was cool that I had a couple guys that I knew, like at a certain point of the year that I could reach out to and they would help educate me. And, and you were one of those guys. And when I was like, okay, you know, at the network that I used to contribute to off the ball, still great people. Uh, I still love all the guys over there. You know, a lot of guys were focusing on the NBA at large. So I said, okay, I saw a need in the NBA draft. I'm going to dive into that. And when I started reaching out to people, people who have influence, like people that have substantial followings, like people who, you know, are widely regarded on, on our side of things, right? Like we're not in front offices, but we know we, we are evaluating talent. We're putting ourselves out there and NBA front offices. Like there are people who have influence on either side of those things, willing just to like, on any like on a Thursday evening, come on and talk NBA prospects with me, and and help educate me and, and the audience here. Um, it's been a lot, man. And Nathan, you've been one of those guys who, again, you know, like big brother in the community to me, man. And uh, have nothing but the most respect for you and the No Ceilings team at large. And Draft Twitter is proof that social media can be a positive thing and a, and a useful tool to help people along and you're one of the realest ones in that group nathan so i appreciate well, we're it. not recklessly arguing about prospects back and forth <laughs> we, 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 we can have some fun on there absolutely yeah i mean obviously we can rib each other and have fun and things like that but it's not a uh, it's not toxic or, or anything along those lines but nathan i just again man thank you so much for for being here on draft capital of course if you're listening to this on my platform you should be listening to draft deeper if you're not already this audio is going to air on Nathan's platform as well. It'll be available on the, you know, the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio. So get that app, download um, Dash Radio, look up Nothing But Net. We'll be on there every Wednesday and Saturday like we always have been. But before we get out of here, Nathan, I just want to give you the same opportunity that you always give Tyler Rucker on your show. Plug everything that you got going on at No Ceilings, brother. Oh, God. Yeah, he, he's the No Ceilings guy, <laughs> not me. Um, but yeah. Not today. Not today. Subscribe to the Substack, noceilings.substack.com. We have written draft content every single day, Monday through Friday, every week. It's what we pride ourselves in. And certainly follow us on Twitter at noceilingsmba. And follow me on Twitter at DraftDeeper. And let's let's keep the discourse, let's keep the conversation going. And feel free to listen to this episode of the podcast on my feed as well, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts. You can find Draft Deeper. We got plenty of things coming in the pipeline and plenty more collaborative podcasts between Steven and I. So stay tuned. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Looking forward to Ford Auto. I think that's where we're really going to start being able to cut loose with our evaluations on guys. And we keep saying that every time, but the tournament just... edition will be fiery. Oh yes. man. It's it's gonna be so it's much coming. Fun. It's coming coming sooner than you think. Dude, February has flown by like February and March in my house is crazy just because the amount of birthdays and anniversaries and things like that that we have, not to mention all the basketball that I that I get to watch, too. But if you want to follow me, you can do so on Twitter at Stephen G Hoops. You can follow Draft Capital on social media. Well, at Draft Capital NBA. Obviously, this podcast is available anywhere you get your podcast. Just go look up Draft Capital. Um, you'll see the this cool basketball. You'll see my name and all that other fun stuff, too. Um, go to Substack and look up all the written work that I have going on there at stephengillespie.substack.com. Like I just kind of teased earlier, I started my 
my draft profiles for guys. And that's going to tie into bigger and better, you know, projects that I have going on down the line. But as for today's show, thank you all so much for tuning in and listening. We'll catch up with all you guys next time. Much love, everybody.